Welcome to Growing Up Skywalker. I'm Sam. Hi, I'm Anna. And today we're talking about Racco Hardeen Part 2. Part 2. The Hardeening. <laughs> the first episode is The Box. Fortune Cookie. The strong survive, the noble overcome. Kind of a weak fortune cookie, if you ask me. I, yeah, all right. Not into it. I mean, we can rank them. But. Okay. So we start off on the beautiful planet of Sereno, which is Count Dooku's home base of operations, when a utterly beat up, crashed down ship lands and out come Racco Hardeen, Cad Bane, and Moralo Eval. The most disreputable of disreputable trios. <laughs> Their entire ship is still scratched up from the time before. And they are part of Count Dooku's friendly little contest to determine what's going on. Spoiler alert, it's a bounty hunter game show. I, kind of. <laughs> I mean, very exclusive audience. So the goal is to pick five of the most ferocious bounty hunters mm-hmm. in the galaxy to make the plan to kidnap Chancellor Palpatine from the Festival of Light on Naboo a reality. Yes. So they have this enormous floating cube, which is a room full of danger that they're going to go in and they're going to accept five survivors to be victors and they will eliminate all the rest and expect six of them to die. However, right before they start, Cad Bane kills one for his hat. So yeah, (laughs) it's gnarly. Meanwhile, back in Coruscant, Anakin confronts Yoda and is like, I, I wish I'd been involved in the loop in this. And Yoda gives him a moment of clarity and says, well, Skywalker, a powerful Jedi you are, but unpredictable and dangerous you can be to both your friends and enemies. Yeah, Yoda really levels with Anakin. If you have forgotten the ground that we covered in part one of the Racco Hardeen arc. Oh, yeah, go back and listen to it. Obi-Wan <laughs> is undercover as his own murderer, Racco Hardeen, and Anakin just got in the loop that his best friend slash brother slash favorite person in the world did not actually die. So he has some beef with the Jedi Council. But more importantly, there is a bounty hunter reality show going on. So all of these cool bounty hunters who are given their introductions, you have an acrobat, you have recurring returning champion, Embo. Embo. Uh, You've got the inventor of the holographic disguise matrix, now one half of a team of twins because the other one is lying on the floor in a pile of guts. Devastating. You have Cad Bane, who needs no introduction. Best line of the episode. Yeah. Racco Hardeen, the sniper of Concord Dawn or something. And they disarm. They put their weapons in a small box. And then they go into the big box when the box wall lights up and there is Moralo Eval's ugly mug who says, the only rule is that there are no rules. <laughs> <laughs> so there are a couple challenges. The mm-hmm. first challenge, everybody makes it through. Yeah, it's, it's poison a- gas and Racco Hardeen has to find the path down to the bottom. So everyone holds their breath and dives through the rising floor of poison gas. The second challenge is a bunch of, who would have thought, light sticks on boxes that shoot out at you and swing at you in quasi-Jedi fashion. And then the walls moving in and out like Jenga blocks, they have to uh, climb up out of that into the next cube room. So there's three down by the third challenge. There's Mm -hmm. eight bounty hunters left. So they get to the third challenge. And meanwhile, in the control room, Morala, Eval, and Dooku are like talking back and forth. And Dooku is like, ah, yes, 
This Racco Hardin character is very strong and very good. Maybe I'll make him the team leader and Moralo Ivala's like, Moralo Ivala's the team leader, Dooku. Uh-huh. I will now give them a challenge where Racco Hardin is not the key to victory. So in the third challenge, a mm-hmm. ray shield pops up all around the bounty hunters and starts to shrink in towards them. And then one syringe full of green serum pops up out of the floor. Mm-hmm. And Moralo Eval says, one of you can stick yourself with that syringe and pass through the ray shield and it won't kill you. Ahahaha. To press the stop ray shields from killing you button. Yes. And it turns out to be a Parwan, which is a floating mushroom-headed tentacle dude. Love that for him. <laughs> Love that. For, Love that for us. And uh, so he is... Uh, Racco Hardin is like, oh, give it to him. He'll be fine. He's a Parwan. Cad Bane finds this a little suspicious, but when uh, Racco Hardin says, I used to kill Parwans for a living, he's fine with it. So they solve that thing and they get to the next room. So six bounty hunters left in the final challenge mm-hmm. and it is Snipe-O-Rama. So a uh, interesting dude with a, I don't know what accent it is. It's like a, it's like a, low-class British accent. He picks up the sniper rifle, and as soon as he misses, he falls into the floor, which is made out of fire jets. And so then... The floor actually is lava. So then Racco Hardin picks up the sniper rifle, starts shooting, and it gets harder and harder, and finally, Morale Eval says, okay, you've been the key to victory this whole time, but I actually want to kill you and be in charge. So I'm going to give you five shots to kill five targets, but there's only, it turns out there's only four in the chamber. He drops Racco Hardin into the fire, but Cad Bane shoots out a grappling hook and pulls him up. Saves Obi-Wan's life. Again. That is something to tell your grandkids. If you want to kill him, do it like a man. So then Dooku, who's been watching, gets back on the walls, which turn into TVs at anyone's discretion and says, perhaps you should finish this your own way and pushes Moralo Eval into the fight. And it's a fight between Racco Hardin and Moralo Eval on a platform surrounded with floor flame jets. Uh, there's droids. There's a maze wall. And eventually Racco Hardin is just beating him unconscious, his head suspended over the flame jets. Dooku wants him to finish Moralo Eval off, but Racco Hardin is like, nah, I just want to get paid. Racco Hardin as Obi-Wan. Obi-Wan is like, as Racco Hardin. Yes, exactly. Yes. So instead, Dooku names Cad Bane the team leader. He sashays his way up to the front of the room. It is mm-hmm. absolutely fabulous. Classic Cad Bane. Utterly campy. It is just absolute camp in this room. And the plan is that Cad Bane will lead the five bounty hunters. Yeah. They'll kidnap Palpatine of the Festival of Light, and they'll use him as leverage to free all Separatist prisoners, or so Dooku says. Yep. Either way, he says, you will help reshape the galaxy. So that leads us to Season 4, Episode 18, Crisis on Naboo. Trust is the greatest of gifts, but it must be earned. Okay, I like that fortune cookie a lot better. It is good. So the Jedi have laid their defenses for the festival, but Dooku, as evidenced, has six horrifying bounty hunters up his sleeve. Mm -hmm. So we'll see where this goes. The bounty hunters break into a guardhouse on Naboo, and Cad Bane gives out the jobs. They're going to go undercover, disguised as guards at the festival. The Parwan is going to get his tentacles through the ray shields that the Jedi are planning to surround the Chancellor with. 
and Moralo Eval is the getaway driver, and da-da-da, Obi-Wan is the sniper. So he's posted up in a tower overlooking the whole event. They all get these little comms devices that only give them their one little piece of the plan. Mm -hmm. So that means that Obi-Wan and the Jedi are still in the dark about how the plan is actually going to go down. But Obi-Wan is on the call with Mace because he's like looking down at the stage. He's like, hey, what's up, Windu? (laughs) It's like, where are you? I'm like, I got eyes on you. I can see you from here. So everyone is pretty much as prepared as they can be mm-hmm. as far as the Jedi go. But Dooku's plan basically goes off without a hitch. He's giving his speech at the festival. There's fireworks going off. And the Parwan reaches through the ray shield, dismantles it. Embo disguises Palpatine as a guard. And the gymnastics lady is Palpatine. So they, because they have these holographic disguise matrices, they will swap out who they are and so they do a switcheroo they become guards and then they swap in one of the guards for palpatine and take away a wounded palpatine it's a very clever little plan it's super fun so cad bane is disguised as a nemodian because he has a hat yes and drags the actual palpatine away but obi-wan sees embo dragging the fake palpatine away and there is great confusion Big kerfuffle. He ends up having to leap into a speeder and follow them to the rendezvous point where Dooku is a no-show. Yeah. And Cad Bane is like, you aren't supposed to be here. And he's like, well, I finished my job. So they're all showing up and then they get into a fight. There's a fight. Mace and Anakin show up. They subdue Cad Bane and Moralo Eval. They get the Chancellor safely away. And they let Cad Bane know that uh, Rakko Hargeen was Obi-Wan all along. Which was utterly delightful. Cad Bane was not happy. He was not pleased. (laughs) Hashtag not pleased with how this plan turned out. And we've basically resolved the plot halfway through the episode, which made me very anxious. I would just like to (laughs) state it for the record. Yes. So things settle down and Anakin finally gets to confront Obi-Wan. Mm-hmm. about leaving him in the dark with this entire ploy to make Anakin think Obi-Wan was dead so his reaction would be convincing and it would convince Dooku. So the way Anakin frames this argument, the narrative that he chooses as he's kind of yelling at Obi-Wan, is that the Jedi Council didn't trust him enough to loop him in. They lied to him. Mm-hmm. And he says to Obi-Wan, how do you know that they even told you the whole truth? What lies have been told to you? How many other lies have I been told by the Council? Oh, it's such a good line. Mm-hmm. So he does get Obi-Wan feeling suspicious enough that as Rako Hardin, he hasn't switched back into his actual body He is suspicious enough that he digs around in Hardeen's sniper case and he finds this listening device. Which means Dooku has been listening in on him the whole time as he was communicating with Mace Windu saying, hey, I've got eyes on you. So Dooku knew about everything. Dooku knew about everything. His plan is an onion. There's layers on layers. And this layer is that he waited until Palpatine sent all the security forces back to Coruscant. And now he's going to try to trap Anakin and Palpatine. And Mm -hmm. skitter away with Palpatine. So he does that successfully in a banquet hall. There's a big boss battle, but Obi-Wan comes to back Anakin up. They rescue Palps from Dooku. 
great success. Dooku skitters away. He does indeed skitter away. And Anakin says, as long as I live, no harm will come to you, Chancellor. And Palpatine just says, well, boy, howdy. I sure hope you have a long and prosperous life. Sure would suck if we didn't have the Jedi. Don't know where he got that accent, but. Ta-da! And well, and Dooku ends off being like, ah, Obi-Wan, it's good to see you're alive. You're a worthy opponent. Unlike your apprentice, Anakin. <laughs> Anakin, you suck. <laughs> Anakin, not so much. Ah, and that is the arc. That's Racco Hardeen part two. And finishes off the whole Racco Hardeen inning. So where do you want to start? I have so much to talk about. Well, take it away. Okay, this arc made me wish genuinely for the first time that I had never seen Revenge of the Sith. Mm, Episode yeah. three. There are a lot of lines in this that... Uh, call forward to Revenge of the Sith. It is a similar plot in terms of like lies within lies and the Jedi withholding information and keeping Anakin out of the loop. Keeping Anakin out of the loop to disenfranchise Mm -hmm. him and make him feel alienated and make him turn towards the dark. Like, okay, granted, I am pretty sure I fell asleep when we were watching Revenge of the Sith. Maybe. I definitely miss a lot of the context. I don't remember a lot of what was going on, but... If I hadn't known that Palpatine was Darth Sidious, I would have really thought that the Jedi did something here. I would have really thought that they accomplished their goal. They saved Palps. They subverted Dooku. Yay, roll credits. I mean, we've known that Palpatine and Sidious are the same person since Phantom Menace. Oh, that's probably true. Yeah, Yeah, that's probably true. But I see where you're coming from. Because this is very similar to that plot of... It's these crazy wheels within wheels, because what is the end goal of all of this throughout the whole thing? Right. This ploy literally doesn't matter. Dooku can hang out with Palpatine anytime he wants. He has Mm -hmm. perfect inside knowledge because of Palpatine. They could do this plan tomorrow Mm -hmm. if they wanted to. I think that Palpatine told Dooku to get Anakin alone to kill Anakin, and I think he told Anakin, protect me from Dooku, to get Anakin and Dooku to duke it out. He wants Anakin and Dooku to kill each other so that Anakin can become, can become his apprentice. Oh, do you think Palpatine thinks Anakin is powerful enough to do that yet? You know, that is the question, because he doesn't appear to be. He doesn't appear to be. I almost... When you said that, it made me think that Palpatine is dangling Dooku in front of Anakin to make Anakin realize he's not powerful enough. And need to reach out for more power. And needs more power and more knowledge and needs to dip into the dark side because the light side simply isn't enough when Dooku is force lightning force lightning you. Lightning-ing-ing. Lightning-ing-ing. The other thing is that uh, yes, because this this is actually goes back to when Savage was fighting Dooku. He's like, I don't have any defense against that kind of power. And Asajj couldn't teach him and Dooku wouldn't teach him. Surely Anakin realizes because he's gotten his behind handed to him a few times by Dooku. A couple Dooku. times now. And he's like, I need something more powerful. Also, Palpatine is trash talking the Jedi the entire movie to their face. Or the, to, whole time, the whole time. The yeah. whole time. Because it's basically a movie. <laughs> the, okay, four episodes I, is like an hour. I wanted times. to talk about how these four episodes fit together in such a fun feature film way. Yeah. We had these four beautiful movements of the plot. Mm-hmm. There were moments of 
really tight, crazy action. There were some moments where it was a little bit more more calm and serene. Mm -hmm. And I loved the way they fit together. I think that this is why the arc nature of the Clone Wars is so critical. Because Mm. like when this show came out, it was the only show that fit this particular niche of this is a show that is a Star Wars show. So it's one of the most famous, even back then, famous and largest pieces of IP in the world. We are making a show. It's going to be on Cartoon Network. It's not really a kid's show. Yeah. And it's not like Robot Chicken or um, Harvey Bird, Attorney at Law, where it's like, this is definitely not a kid's show. This is like, you could watch it as a kid, but it it deals with really adult themes. All of the plots, all the plot notes that previous episodes have taken from like crazy samurai movies and this one taking from the Cube movies from the 90s is like, these are R-rated movies that you're taking stuff from. Here's the thing, though. I love the benefit of being in the streaming era where we can watch these arcs beautifully together. But when I was a kiddo, we didn't have cable television. So, like, I would see whatever show was popular Mm -hmm. at the moment when I went over to a friend's house after school and watched it there. So I never got any understanding of the overarching plot for anything. So this is a little orthogonal. My uncle David, shout out. Uh, I don't know if he's a listener, but he is a big sci-fi nerd. Uh, he is crazy into Star Trek. And so I'd go over to his house in the mid-90s, early 90s, and he would have like an entire wall of VHS recorded off-TV episodes of Star Trek. That is fabulous. Arranged in order. And that was like the only way to watch it. And like seven seasons of Deep Space Nine on VHS is literally a damn truckload of VHS. <laughs> I'm picturing this incredible living room wall shelf of just VHS tape after VHS it's, tape. It's hundreds of VHS tapes, which are not small. And that is the effort you had to go to to watch them. And going back to like Deep Space Nine, it was one of the first shows to have a really episodic format like that that wasn't on like HBO, like The Wire or something. So this follows along in that. And now that is the way TV is. It is episodic. I mean, you see something like The Witcher and you can't just pop in and watch any old episode. You can't even imagine that appearing on syndicated television. We have really entered a new age of TV and The Clone Wars is one of the forerunners of that Mm, the granddaddy not to mention that the types of characterizations and the fact that it's fitting within a larger plot the idea that the plotting is not just like a handful of people in a writer's room but it's storyboarded out with years of preparation in advance this is the new revolutionary thing. This is one of the revolutionary cornerstones of television in the 21st century. And this is why I think that right now, this moment in time is an amazing time to be a new Star Wars fan because you don't have to, I never would have been able to tune into Cartoon Network at whatever time on the East Coast Mm -hmm. that these episodes were premiering. But now as an adult with a Disney Plus subscription that I leech off of Sam, Mm -hmm. I get to watch them in beautiful, perfect, like perfect conditions. And it makes it so rewarding. But I also want to talk about every other amazing aspect of this arc because I have so many notes. 
There are so many cool bounty hunters. So many. Okay, here's what I was thinking. The box. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about the box and the bounty hunters. Okay, so the box is made up of smaller boxes that move. And the boxes walls turn into boxes. There's boxes within boxes. The boxes can turn into swingy rando lightsaber Jenga so blocks. What I loved was to see how the challenges in the box lined up with the plan on Naboo. Tell me more. Okay, so as soon as I saw the second challenge had these arm boxes mm-hmm. with electrified laser blades on the end that shoot out at you and swing at you. I was like, oh, okay, this is a Jedi simulation. Yeah. This is a challenge that is meant to gauge how well the bounty hunters could do in combat against the Jedi. Mm-hmm. And I loved that challenge because we got to see these graceful, deadly assassins like flip-flopping around the room. It was so delightful. The lighting was beautiful. Mm-hmm. But also... We had a ray shielding challenge yeah. to make it evident that one of the bounty hunters has to make it through because they're the only one who's going to be able to stick their tentacles through the ray shield. Yeah. We had a sniper challenge to test which of the bounty hunters would be best in the guard tower. Mm-hmm. And I guess the first challenge doesn't really make sense because there was no poison gas on Naboo in this situation. I mean, maybe, maybe it's part of their infiltration off screen, or they just wanted to make sure that the stakes were set suitably. Maybe high. they were weeding out the incompetence. Yeah, yeah. The ones who really shouldn't have been there. Because bounty hunters in Star Wars, we have seen them do jobs that are not related to bounty hunting. Cad Bane in the Rakuhardin arc was hired to do a jailbreak. That's yeah. not a bounty hunting kind of mission. Yeah, so that actually speaks to the larger geopolitics of Star Wars, doesn't it? Hmm. Like, are you a mercenary? Are you a gun for hire? Are you a bounty hunter? Are you all three? Do you remember in the Bounty Hunters episode where we first meet Embo and... Boy, do I ever. Boy, does she ever. (laughs) And they're talking about how the bounty hunters do have a code of honor in that once you've paid them or once they've been contracted to, to take a job, they will do it 100%. Whereas this is the type of thing, it's like, we're going to need you to go in and kidnap someone. And so that is definitely like ethically dubious under any circumstances, no matter who you're kidnapping. Not that that prevents like extradition kidnappings. You know, that happens all the time. Well, this is why I thought the box, Mm -hmm. the episode, the box and the box itself was this meditation on the nature of a bounty hunter. Yeah, because 12 bounty hunters are supposed to go in, only 11 make it to the starting line mm-hmm. because Cad Bane is a horrifying monster. Who wanted a better hat? Who wanted a better hat? Who murdered someone's brother just for, you know, for the fashion. Yeah. But to believe that you can make that cut, 5 out of 11? Yeah. That takes some serious cojones. It does. It also shows the importance of a union. A labor union for bounty hunters? Yeah, I mean, or like some sort of bounty hunters guild or something so that you go to someone, you're like, I need five bounty hunters and your union rep is like, well, how many do you expect to survive? Because otherwise I'm not giving you this boss. And if Dooku shows up, he's like, I expect five to come back. It's like, I'm not giving you 12 bounty hunters if you're going to sacrifice seven of them. Because if your goal is to get rid of all of the bounty hunters in the galaxy, sticking them in a box is a great way to do it. That is designed to kill them and you're 
definitely going to kill them afterwards. Absolutely. I mean, sure, that's a pretty solid incentive. It's the Hunger Games incentive, you know, of like there will be one survivor, but it's the um, the prisoner's dilemma. If you're yeah. not willing to take out the competition, the competition will take you out. Which goes back to, and I recently spoke about this, the Spartacist result, revolts, the oh, Servile yeah. War in the Roman Empire when a bunch of gladiators got together and like, we're not going to take it. And then, you know, the so guard, we talked about this in the Umbara arc, right, if you're interested. Right. And the, uh, you know, the guards were like, well, you have to. And these guys are like, who's going to stop me? We are the best fighters around. And there's like 10,000 of us. So. So I did indeed. Here's what I did. I Googled, what does it take to be a bounty hunter? But first I opened a private browser because that just seemed like a very suspicious thing to Google. Because you're using your work computer. Because I was also <laughs> using my work computer. And they're like, we don't want you looking for other jobs. Okay, but the there's clock. there's an Indeed page yeah. on how to become a bounty hunter. Uh, there is a very funny series of books. And one of our uh, patrons, Allison, has also read them. We read them together. Uh, the Janet Ivanovich bounty hunter books, which are extremely funny about a modern day bounty hunter who has to do like skip tracing and stuff because it's a real job you have bounties for people who generally are uh skipping bond or bail Mm -hmm. there's also a fabulous netflix tv show called teenage bounty hunters about this (laughs) and it is set in my hometown and it is fabulous (laughs) kind adjacent to my hometown so i was thinking what does it take to be a bounty hunter must be fast. Must be acrobatic. Must be disreputable. Disreputable, yeah. That's that's what I got. There are some really fun Easter eggs in the Bounty Hunters. Oh, yeah. One of them is that the Weeque is named Kiera Swan, which is the name of what's her name from Pirates of the Caribbean? Kira Knightley. And oh, Elizabeth Swan. Kira Knightley. Oh my God! Uh, Someone in the writers' room has a crush on Kira Knightley, and I am a hundred percent behind this. Kira Knightley is also part of. Uh, she was. OG. Oh, she was she was Natalie Portman's body double yeah, in the yeah. Phantom Menace. She was OG Queen Amidala. So that's cool. That's fun. And uh, Embo, of course. I love how Embo says stuff in Emboese, which is like uh, Dave Filoni voices Embo, and he says like weird stuff in a weird accent. And Just they extremely pl- grumpy at all times. And then they play it back backwards. That's how they make Embo's. That's voice. how they did it. And everyone can understand what he's saying. He's like Ujaba, and they're like, "That's right." <laughs> Yes, Indeed. there is no point. <laughs> okay, also, there is this sound effect that happens every time Embo flip-flops around, like this swishing sound, and it is delightful. It sounds like uh, it's his helmet. Or, yeah, there's a swishing sound. He also sounds kind of like a big sheet of metal that's vibrating. Ooh, yeah. yeah. Everything about Embo is just perfect. So needless to say, Embo survives, but... So... Was there, what was the purpose of the box? Like, let's telescope out a little bit. Was the purpose of the box really to get some great bounty hunters to do this job? Because that seems not quite deep enough for me. Okay. So big picture, the whole Racco Hardeen arc 
what is the plan? Morale Eval is putting out enough of a call that he has this mastermind mega brain plan to capture Palpatine that the Jedi are going to be aware of it. So they infiltrate someone into his team. I don't think Morala Eval was aware of that. I don't think Dooku was aware of that hmm. until later on. I think Palpatine was aware the whole time. Do you think Dooku found out on his listening device? Yeah, for sure. Oh, I guess I would have assumed Palpatine would have told him. I think that's why Dooku bounced from that point. Oh, okay, 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 okay. So he was listening in on... Obi-Wan is Racco Hardeen mm-hmm. calling into Mace and decided to dip and because, execute plan C. Yeah, because what was the other thing that was going to happen? So imagine if Dooku didn't know that Racco Hardeen was Obi-Wan. They all arrive at the you know meetup point. You have Cad Bane, Dooku, Morale Eval, Racco Hardeen, no lightsaber, and Palpatine. And then what's going to happen? Who's going to figure out who's who? Who's going to die out of that? Like, what is the situation going to be? That is a very dangerous group of people to all be ricocheting around a little clearing in the forest. I don't know if Dooku thinks that he can take Obi-Wan. I think Dooku would have been sitting here and he would have been like, okay, Cad Bane, whatever, Morale Eval, whatever. I'll just pay them and they can bounce. I would have to fight Obi-Wan and Obi-Wan could probably take me and Palpatine is going to be coaching whoever looks like they're winning. Oh. So he dips because he's like, okay. Too uh, many variables. Too many variables. I'm going to dip. I'm going to wait until I get Palpatine alone because I think I'm ready to take out Palpatine. Oh, Okay. And then Palpatine keeps Anakin, and Dooku's like, this is fine. I can take Anakin. One arm tied behind my back. Yeah, I mean, the fight at the end is worth the price of admission. Uh, let me let me paint the picture here. So Palpatine is doing his normal sketchy BS. He's like, ah, oh, yes, the Jedi lied to you. They're terrible. You should trust your feelings and trust I would me. have thought that you would have been the one who is in on this plan, Anakin, because I, you're so great. The plan is so brilliant. I thought it was yours. <laughs> And then they open the door into this beautiful, long, darkened dining hall. And at the end of the long table is Dooku, who's like, sup, D-bags. That is exactly the kind of setting that I expect to find Dooku at all times. And they get into a fight, and it is absolutely brutal and narrow, and it is close in. Dooku is flinging chairs. He is flinging handfuls of cutlery at Anakin. Anakin has to stab his lightsaber through like a cabinet and has to get rid of the cabinet so he can keep stabbing at Dooku's face. Anakin gets a a fork shoved through his robo arm. Oh my God, I forgot about that. Multiple forks. Yeah. Many forks in the robo arm. And so this fight is going absolutely wild, but Dooku is definitely going to be able to take him on. Until Obi-Wan arrives. This is not even the first time that Dooku has... No, Dooku takes down Anakin almost in the uh, the Clone Wars movie. No, yeah, but this is not even the first time that Dooku has taken on Anakin and won on Naboo. <laughs> yeah, that's like, true. He's wiped yeah. the floor with Anakin during Shadow Warrior this season. Just Yeah, my God, Just cash. <laughs> also, he, uh, you know, Dooku is the reason for Anakin's robo-arm. 
Ah, you know, some people take a walk after dinner. Dooku beats up Anakin Skywalker just like as a constitutional. What's fun, Terry's like, I'm going to kill Dooku. And Ahsoka's like, let me tell you, he's beaten my master to within an inch of his life. Eight, eight times. times. <laughs> Mostly on Naboo. <laughs> and, and Anakin Skywalker's my master. And Anakin Skywalker killed your dad, all of his troops for breakfast and then blew up that whole planet. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So I don't know if the whole thing was this game of chess between Palpatine and Dooku over who would control Anakin. Because imagine, recall during uh, episode two, Attack of the Clones, when Obi-Wan is strung up in his ray shield getting, and Dooku says, there's a Lord of the Sith controlling the Senate. And Obi-Wan's like, la la la, I can't hear you. Maybe he thinks he could get Anakin to join his side. So that Anakin will become Dooku's apprentice. Yes. But Palps wants to skip a generation and just cut Dooku out. Because I'll bet that Dooku is like, Dooku plus Anakin could fight Palpatine and win easily. Interesting. I like the bigger context because as fabulous and utterly delicious as the Racco Hardin (laughs) arc was as a quartet, it did give me that feeling of nihilism at the end, which is like, mm-hmm. we just had a really great, wonderful adventure, loved it a lot. It did not matter. Yeah. Nothing mattered. So I like being able to put in a little bit of a bigger context for why it might have mattered. And maybe I'm not seeing it yet. So that is one of the key things circling back to why this is a cornerstone, a foundational block of modern 21st century television, but it's not like the end all be all because it was still during like the Game of Thrones era, totally crazy to start killing off main characters Mm -hmm. and killing off main characters in the Clone Wars would have been insane. Although Babylon 5 killed off some main characters in the early 90s, which was fun and Deep Space Nine, but the idea of, like, you can't kill these characters who survived into the movies. Right, yeah. And this is just a general mm-hmm. thing that you have to be okay with when you're watching a prequel era yeah. piece of media is that there are certain outcomes that are written in stone. Yeah. We know that Anakin and Grievous can't meet. We know that Anakin and Obi-Wan have to survive. Mm-hmm. We know that Ahsoka can't be there. And Dooku and Palpatine survive. Yes, Everyone else is. So there's some dynamics that you yeah. can play with. You can flex them, but mm-hmm. the outcome is written in the stars. It is cast in concrete. Can't do anything about it. Yeah. So that lowers the stakes a little bit of what can happen. Really, the only person who throughout the series, you don't know what they're gonna, what's going to happen to them. The only main character is Ahsoka. Mm-hmm. You just know that she's not there in episode three. Yeah. Desolée. Do you want to talk about Obi-Wan? Sure. I always want to talk about Obi-Wan, so I just got to read the room, you know? Yeah. Well, I do have an Obi-Wan beard, so. I know. It's one of the best parts about you. It's one of the parts of you that I love the most. Uh, The rest of me is a collection of (laughs) half-truths and hyperbole. God, I hope not. (laughs) Okay, Obi-Wan Kenobi. Watching him not get to use the force throughout these four episodes, but especially in the box Mm -hmm. was fascinating and so great. Watching him use a sniper rifle was fascinating. So cool. Mm -hmm. So I just want to give a shout out to the animators for doing something 
really layered and really cool in the Rakuhardine arc, which is that they gave Obi-Wan as Rakuhardine all of the gestures and inflections and physical movement of Obi-Wan, mm-hmm. but made him constrain himself so that he seemed human or whatever Rakuhardine is. Humanish. So it's like you can see through him and you can see Obi-Wan in this skin suit. Like, gnarly. Yeah, like you can x ray him and see that it's Obi Wan inside this body with a layer over it of Racco Hardeen. You know what this makes me think of is the Nine Fox Gambit series by Yoon Ha Lee, where the main character is a person and then a different ghost of a person that they implanted in her head. And yeah. how they, like, the, uh, the software can recognize that which person is currently in charge based off of their gate analysis. Yeah, it is super interesting. It's a great space opera if you're interested in that. Mm-hmm. But I loved especially seeing Obi-Wan have to use the force selectively. Yeah. He couldn't he so he needs it to survive, but he can't move too quickly or jump too high or be too graceful or anticipate anything too far in advance because people would know. Yeah. But we see him use it in the sniper rifle scene, right? Mm -hmm. No one without the force could have done what he was doing. It was very clear that this was like almost an impossible sniper challenge. Yeah, yeah. It looked extremely tough. You're looking at a a target that is flying across the room from tile to tile. You don't have to hit a very big target or you you don't have to hit a very small target. It's a pretty big target. But there's two at one for Obi-Wan. And it's moving extremely fast. And we have at this point in the fourth challenge, six of the best bounty hunters in the galaxy. And the first bounty hunter who goes up to do it nails the first two shots misses the third, Mm -hmm. falls to his death. Like the stakes are high. That would have my hands shaking. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Shake and bacon. (laughs) So I just, I loved getting to see Obi-Wan have to negotiate being a Jedi, following the Jedi code, while having to pretend to be this terrifying bounty hunter. He's the negotiator. Oh my God, he is the negotiator. Yeah. God, that's a great name for a ship. That's the name of his capital ship. I know. <laughs> I know. It's the best. So I just I just want to put it out there in the universe. Every time Obi-Wan refused to kill someone in this arc or betray his principles or betray the Jedi Code, I was just writing a love letter to Obi-Wan Kenobi <laughs> in my head. It reminds me of in the Zillow Beast arc when Palpatine is in the sky taxi and is about to die from Zillow Beast and he also doesn't use the Force. Oh, yeah. Because he can't show off that he's using the Force. Oh, yeah. Would you, this, I can't believe I have this for you. Would you like a piece of Zillow Beast trivia related to the Raku Hardeen arc? <laughs> Please, yes. <laughs> yes, I would. Oh, sentence that I've never spoken before in my entire life. This is a first for the English language. The animators took the Parwan bounty hunter's tentacle Ah. design from the noodle arms of the Zillow Beast. Man, those noodle arms. It's written in the concept art. It's right there. I mean, that's the type of thing that you would say to your animators. Just take the code that you wrote for the noodle noodle arms and shrink it down to normal arms. Yeah, size. just fun size, fun yeah. size noodles. Fun, fun size noodles. <laughs> His name was Duran, but we're calling him fun size noodle arms. So what did you think about how Obi-Wan chose to approach the box? 
as far as always being the one who is like figuring out the solutions and problems or? being the team leader giving mm-hmm. a helping hand trying to save everybody trying to get as many people to the final challenge as he could uh there is um, i don't think this is a spoiler there is an episode of rebels which has a somewhat similar motif going on and it is interesting how that one is slightly different than this one hmm. Obi-Wan would, of course, have a hard time being ruthless because it wouldn't have been impossible for him, like in the first room where the floor becomes toxic gas, to just dive down and bounce. Oh, yeah. And only the brave would have followed him and a bunch of other people would have died. He broadcast what was going on. And in the second room, he's like, check out the pattern to climb up. He's he's broadcasting how to go forward. What that resulted in is... Cat Bane saving his life. And also it resulted in him not, of course, being the leader. And Cad Bane, of course, being the leader. Because Cad Bane is the one who is capable of spending lives. And Rackhardine did not appear to be. Hmm. Do you think it was him slipping out of character in a really egregious way? Or a really noticeable way? I think not. Now, as we don't know much about how Rackhardine is like, actually. But from the perspective of someone who's like, I'm a bounty hunter, I'm part of this team. Absolutely, I want to have a good working relationship with the people on the other side of it. So I'm oh. going to help them. Also, I really want to make sure that like the right people survive. But I'm yeah. not going to be stupidly ruthless about it because that's just a jerk move. These are my coworkers. Or they're like, they're not necessarily coworkers. They're colleagues in industry. They're colleagues. I love that word. Yeah. yeah. And it makes sense that he wants like the best colleagues for the team. He wants the best team members. Yeah. And Cad Bane takes the opposite approach. And that he's like, I like your hat, but only one of us can have a hat. So you're dead now. <laughs> Which is like not cool, you know? And some managers are like that. That's pretty dark, Sam. So <laughs> this got me thinking as you said this about, I think reputation Mm. is one of the themes of this arc. Yeah. And I love thinking about how the 12 bounty hunters in the room in the box are galaxy-wide famous for being great at their jobs, Mm -hmm. but you might not have met them ever in your life. This might be the first time you're coming face-to-face with Chwazi or whatever the Parwan's name is. Duran, yeah. Duran. I mean, hopefully. Hopefully. Yeah, hopefully. Duran known simply as the exterminator. And then there's the other bounty hunter. And I loved this line from Dooku where he was like, ah, your people used to be the most peaceful people in the galaxy. How far you have fallen. That is uh, really interesting. This is uh, the second Selkath that we have seen. Uh, the other Selkath was also a bounty hunter who, with Robonino, was trying to kill Padme on Coruscant a couple episodes oh, ago. Oh, yeah. Uh, in a crazy fight scene. It was recall. amazing. But the Selkath are originally from the Knights of the Old Republic series, which is a video game from the early 2000s. And so this is them being canonized. And they were a galaxy-spanning empire, which I think is really interesting. That's neat. Yeah. It just adds this really, really clever angle, which is that all you have to do as Obi-Wan to impersonate Racco Hardeen 
is live up to what people know of your exploits, but they don't know anything about your personality. They know Racco Hardin as the sniper of Concord Dawn or yeah. whatever that is, but they don't know if he's a team player, if he's a ruthless Cad Bane type of Cad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it, it it's an interesting thing just to think about how your reputation can precede you, but that's not your identity. It's just yeah. what you've accomplished. Yeah. I need to correct myself. The Cellcath did not have a galaxy-spanning empire, but to talk about reputation... I think that's really interesting. I recently watched, uh, I was just deciding to watch a bunch of movies about hitmen on Netflix for no reason. That is very topical for this week. It is. I watched several good ones. Uh, Mr. Right, I enjoyed a whole bunch. And they're talking about, well, of course, as a killer for hire, you can't have any friends. You can't have any family. No one identifies with you. But that's like not strictly true. You know, you just have a job where you travel a lot and take care of business. It's interesting. We've talked about this a bit before of like, what does Cad Bane do with all of his money? Do you think he has like a beautiful family at home or something? Well, did he even get paid for the 18 jobs he did in this arc? Like what happened? Right. That's gotta be his, his main job. What happened to Morale Eval? What happened to Cad Bane? Did they get paid? What happened to the original Racco Hardeen? Is he just rocketing around a different prison? I think that they probably all ended up in prison and then Racco Hardin doesn't know why Cad Bane is angry at him. (laughs) (laughs) This would amuse me greatly. They're like, did you get hit in the head? Who are you? Like, oh gosh, that's Cad Bane. You're a scary dude. It's like, you remember me, (laughs) Hardin? He's like, no, No, I most certainly do not. (laughs) Now I just want like Racco Hardin the epilogue. That was supposed to be part of this arc, but they cut it for time and character purposes because uh, you don't really need it because the thing was going to be that Anakin would have tracked down Rack Hardine in a prison in uh, okay, on Coruscant. Okay, okay. That's like, what's the point? You know? As if we need more proof that Anakin is buck wild out of his mind. Uh, Yoda called him out on it in the second scene. Of this Yoda arc. called him out on it, really leveled with Anakin. I do want to quickly talk about that conversation that Anakin and Obi-Wan have as they're reuniting Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because I think it is very beautiful writing and very beautiful lampshading for where we're going. Yeah. So Anakin says to Obi-Wan, if I had known what was going on, I could have helped you. Too bad the Jedi Council didn't trust me enough to loop me in. Mm -hmm. And Obi-Wan says, it was my decision to keep the truth from you. Mm -hmm. Anakin says, You lied to me. How many other lies have I been told by the council? And how do you know that you have the whole truth? I think more than a lot of things, this starts to divide Anakin and Obi-Wan. Ooh. I also want to riff off of that and that that conversation is one of three really important call forwards in this episode which is the uh, standing up at dinner. How many other lies have I been told by the council? And in that conversation with Yoda, when Yoda says, if you go, you'll put them in danger. Oh. Which is all, call- I mean, two of those are calling forward to episode five. One of them is calling forward to episode three. But to talk about that conversation between Anakin and Obi-Wan, that is the most important question because now Obi-Wan is like, well, geez, do I know what the story is? Am I a good Jedi? It's like the poisoning of the water that waters the roots, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's this beginning of 
it's this context for Anakin beginning to really distrust the Jedi Council Mm -hmm. and really not believe that they have his best interests at heart. And for Obi-Wan to be sitting here saying, my brother, Anakin, is not getting what he needs from the Jedi Council. They're using him up. Are they using me up? Who Mm -hmm. else are they using up? Because he, you know, Obi-Wan's buried a lot of friends. Yeah. Yeah, he has already. Already. I mean, during the war and when his when he avenged his master. Oh. So it's a lot of really weird, scary stuff thinking about like when when is your moment of radicalization? And I think that although Anakin has been vacillating between a burn down everything and make me dictator and I'm a good little Jedi, he's been back and forth like his entire time since episode two uh obi-wan is starting to think that there's other stuff going on and they really just keep him too busy yeah but this is the deviousness of palpatine's plan right Mm -hmm. that as he's infecting anakin with this poisoned belief it gets its claws its tendrils into other people that are close to anakin too yeah yeah and that goes to show like what you can do with power because manipulation yeah but if you're sitting here and you're like okay from the office of the chancellor comes a please get psychiatric profiles for all the jedi who are fighting and then let's call up some disreputable characters and find out their weaknesses and start breaking down each of these jedi one by one and in that regard in my opinion the only one who doesn't massively make mistakes until the very last minute is mace But the rest of them are held in check by the trappings of power, by the pressures of the war, by the fact that, like, I mean, can I speak for myself? But it's really difficult to have like a meaningful life when you're trapped in a box for 40 hours a week or more, trying to, like, you know, making money for someone else. Maybe the box is an allegory for capitalism, (laughs) it kills half of us. And the other half might get paid. And the real friends were all the bounty hunters we met along the way. Aren't we all just bounty hunters on the inside? <laughs> oh, my God. Aren't we all just guns for hire? I will say this episode made me desperate for bounty hunter reality TV show. It's called Dog the Bounty Hunter. Bounty Hunter Bachelor. Bounty Hunters in Paradise. Hunger Games the Bounty Hunter Edition. Bounty Hunter Island. Bounty Hunter Island is just like a bunch of bounty hunters like watching each other do murder and being like, I love the way you straight up murdered that guy. Got me really hot under the collar. How fun would that be? I mean, that's why I watched Hitman movies. (laughs) I'm into this. Yeah, yeah. So Netflix, give me my writing cred. We're going to make this happen. Yeah, we got some. We can watch them. I love this. (laughs) It's a whole genre. Netflix knows my soul now. Note that, uh, you know, we love Disney Plus, but they don't have Bounty Hunter movies. on. This is They are are exclusive to Netflix. This is the most violence you get on Disney Plus, and that's just the way it is. The very last tiny thing that I want to mention before we do the fastest Baywatch ever is that we got a couple pieces of really fun Naboo trivia that that I want to mention. That they have an amazing fireworks show. They have an amazing fireworks show. That was telling the history of their planet, which Mm -hmm. was super cool. 
We got a fun tidbit that they joined the Republic 847 years ago. Mm -hmm. It's an old planet. And apparently the whole planet was plasma mines before this. Or at least that location was plasma mines. Something to that effect. So I wonder if like that was a battlefield from the uh, invasion like five years before. Could be. When the Trade Federation showed up. Yeah, yeah, absolutely could be. Or there was just plasma mines. And then the final thing is that we get to meet another very young Naboo monarch, and mm-hmm. we get a name for her, which is Queen Neyutne. Yes. And she's great. And I just have been thinking about it, and I think this is the move to have 16-year-old monarchs. Is that so? Because when I was 17, I was so powerful. Like, I was at the peak of my power. I was this insecure overachiever with unstoppable amounts of, like, empathy and drive. And I thought I could do anything. And if you had put me in charge of a planet, I would have been like, let's go. I am ready for this. Not so 10 years later. You and I had very different childhoods. Okay. (laughs) When I was 17, I was living in my car as a raft guide. I was having some I was having some fun, but it was a little on the sketchy side. Okay, so. well, I was in AP classes and I was ready to skip college and go straight into my career. I was ready. So I was ready to skip college and be a raft guide. Maybe it's a lady thing. I think different paths, but I do agree that, you know, there's a lot of ways to pick a leader for your country. You know, there's really stupid ones like genetics, and then there's stupider ones like hereditary genetics. But what it really comes down to is it doesn't matter. Or just pick the 17-year-old because they're going to be great. Just have a beauty contest and roll with it. Just have like a Miss Naboo contest, and that's the queen. Oh, my God. I would watch that reality TV show, too. Well, okay. we know how we're spending our summer. <laughs> okay. It is eminently time for Baywatch. All right. Baywatch. It's time for Baywatch. Bounty Hunter Watch. It's time for Bounty Hunter Watch. <laughs> Sam, who's your bae? Oh, man, you're making me go first. Uh, Cad Bane. Okay, show your work. Cad Bane saves... So, in the box, Cad Bane listens to Obi-Wan. He's like, I am willing to accept criticism of the situation. I don't need to be in charge. I just want to live. And then, when Moral Eval is like, ah, sucks to suck, nerd. I'm going to kill you now. He's like... You can't just kill someone because you're a jerk, Morale Eval. I kill people because I'm a jerk. You can't just kill people in front of me. <laughs> Only one of us is allowed to kill people for fun. This is a double standard, and I'm deciding who's on what side. And then he comes up with like an excellent plan to take the take the Chancellor. He puts everyone in place where they need to be. And because he doesn't trust any of them, he doesn't give any of them more information than they need. Brilliant. His plan works perfectly. And I feel like he probably got paid one way or the I other. I hope he got paid. I hope he got paid. Killing a bounty hunter for his hat is such a power move. Yeah. Like, what would Cad Bane do? Kill a man for his hat, Just obviously. to watch him die. The Cad Bane book of morality. Killed a man on Sereno just to watch him die. <laughs> yeah, it's Cad Bane, but mostly for that moment where he actually saved Obi-Wan, which showed that he does have some speck of sanity in those calculating Duros eyes. 
Cad Bane, who needs no introduction. Doesn't need any excuses either. Who got excellent foreshadowing, now that I think about it, for being really quick on the draw in a shootout situation. That will be relevant later. That'll be relevant every time we see Cad Bane. I love that for him. It's a useful life skill if you're a bounty hunter. Who's your bae? Gee, (laughs) with six horrifying murderers to choose from, how does a gal decide? You can become an antagonist with me. Join me on the dark side and together we'll roll Baywatch. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I'm choosing Embo. Oh! Because he is so utterly delightful to watch that he brought joy to my heart, a smile to my face every time I saw him do anything. Embo is the most fun bounty hunter. Nothing brings me more joy than just Embo existing. Every time he whips his hat at someone (laughs) and says something grumpy, I'm just over here applauding. And he always just somersault kicks someone into space. Oh my God, in the box, in the first challenge, when the gas chamber starts filling Mm -hmm. up, one of the bounty hunters says, oh, every man for himself. So Embo spin kicks him off his pedestal and takes his place. Yeah. It's great. Embo steals every scene that he's in. He eminently does. Like, my heart and soul, my one and only bounty hunter. He's, God love him. You're you're part of the Church of Embo. I'm part of the Church of Embo. He is just fantastic. <laughs> so, yeah. I guess we had seven murderers to choose from if we, if we added Anakin to the mix. <laughs> if you're organizing characters by kill count, Anakin is... Definitely up there. Top oh, yeah. three. Oh, yeah. Yikes. All right. That's been a <laughs> Bounty Hunter Watch. Yikes. So join us next week for, what are we calling it? Massacre. So we are precipitously running out of season four episodes, but mm-hmm. we have one more quadruple episode arc. It's the massage, massage, the massage and savage, savage and massage school episode, <laughs> Assage and mall arc. Mm-hmm. And we are watching season four episodes, 19 and 20 massacre and bounty. Very excited for that. Very excited to put a pin in season four here. This is going to be crazy. And there's some real earth shattering things that happen in the next episodes. It's going to be a lot of fun. Pretty cool. So send this episode to the person who has a code of ethics, even if you don't really agree with it or understand it, but they just seem to follow some kind of Book of Cad Bane style moral code. Or send it to the person who every time they move, you break out in a smile. Oh my God. Yeah. Send it to the Envo in your life. And we'll see you next Tuesday. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.